We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 79 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And we might sound a little bit different today because I am on the road for the Senior Bowl right now. And even though I'm on the road and there is a lockout going on, we are not going to miss a midweek show of That's So Mets. And there are some things going on around baseball. The CBA talks are underway, although not much movement there as we sit here and record today. Keith Law has released his top 100 prospects in baseball. The Mets have five in there, five prospects. And I think I could definitely say one's a big surprise, but you know, maybe even two to an extent. And one is in the top 10. So we're going to get into that. It's a good time to get into that. Uh, definitely an interesting buzzy item from John Heyman about the Mets might be looking to make a splash when the lockout ends that we'll break down. And we'll do a couple questions from the mailbag because it, this is not the That's So Mets podcast without the mailbag. So, Joe, let's bring in. How are things going, even though we are still, sadly, without baseball? Everything's going well. How was, uh, how was your trip to Mobile? It's pretty good. I mean, it's warm down here. It was nice to leave a, a foot of snow and go into 65 degree weather. If you, it's kind of like uh, it feels like a spring training trip, although with with football instead of baseball. And there is no, I mean, it doesn't seem like baseball is making its way back any soon. So uh, it's it's kind of bittersweet. I've been even checking the updates a little bit in, in between practice here, and you know, it's and it's it's negotiating. We've talked about this before, but I hope that. I really hope that the you know the clock start the clock ticking starts to create a little pressure for these sides to figure it out. To be honest with you, uh, that's the only way it's going to happen. Clearly, I mean these negotiations are moving at a sloth like pace. Is something I tweeted, and you know today MLBPA put out a, a proposal to MLB. We don't know all the details behind it. Maybe we will. Like if you're listening on Wednesday, maybe there's a chance that there's an article with everything outlined in it. Uh, but based on just the early read, it seems like they really didn't move much on anything. Uh, they dropped their ask for the uh, pre-arbitration pool. Uh, players like Vlad Guerrero Jr., guys that win awards that would make more money. Um, they dropped their ask from $105 million to $100 million. So uh, not exactly conceding much there. Ultimately, the clock is ticking. Um, we're getting... We're at the point now where spring training starting on time, unless something takes a drastic turn right, that's an almost impossibility for spring training to actually kick off on time. The question now is, how long is spring training delayed? And at what point are we now talking about opening day being delayed? I don't want to get too far ahead because deadlines make deals. 
you know, chances are they recognize the negative that'll come with actually losing some regular season time. But uh, yeah, we're we're trucking along just very, very slowly. Well, I think the problem is these sides in the recent past have really given you no reason to be optimistic. And that's what is why everybody's looking at these things. And, and yeah, the numbers being leaked by each side is going to, you know, they're leaked for a reason and they're going to seem very, very far apart. And that can change quickly in negotiations because there's usually a middle ground somewhere in every single argument. But I just think when you look at the history of these sides and it just makes you wonder how much do they care? And they should care a lot because if the season is delayed, you are going to have uh, people very turned off by the state of baseball. And, and this is not a sport in my eyes, like a lot of the other professional sports right now that can afford any mishap in terms of it's not just PR or marketing, but you know, interest, and excitement over a long, long season. And it's just, it's not a great look if people have bought their opening day tickets to the ballpark and you start playing the rescheduling game and you start to, people count down the days. They can go see, you know, their favorite players be introduced to that home crowd again. And I just think, and obviously the layers of this problem are, are much deeper than that. But my eye, from my view, Joe, I just, I look at this and go, they really can't afford, forget the money, they can't afford the PR disaster of baseball not starting on time. It's absolute, It will be absolutely inexcusable and, you know, in my opinion, disgusting that these two sides can't make an agreement and cost real baseball. Guys like you, guys like me, guys and gals that listen to the show, probably more the diehard type fans that if the season starts on April 17th, guess what we'll be doing on April 17th, watching opening day. But there are certainly some people out there that are more fair weather fans, more, you know, I, I don't, I hate to use this term, but just kind of general fans. Those ones would be like, oh, baseball's delayed. Eh, whatever. I'll just move on without baseball this year. And they'll just focus on basketball playoffs, hockey playoffs, NFL draft. And, you know, they'll, they just won't care. So. You don't want that. And, you know, for me, I always look at the Super Bowl. All right, the Super Bowl comes and goes. And then the, the, the day after the Super Bowl, it's like, it is now baseball season. I'm not feeling good that when this Super Bowl between uh, the Bengals and the Rams ends, I'll be saying it's time for baseball to start. And uh, Jared Carabas over at Barstool, I think he summed up the relationship, like you were mentioning, between the MLBPA and the owners kind of perfectly. Uh, He tweeted earlier today, the MLBPA and owners are like that annoying couple that everyone hates together because they're so miserable with each other and fight all the time. And nobody can figure out why they don't just break up. Only these, these two sides literally can't break up. So it's extra annoying. I just want baseball. That's exactly right. Yeah. That sums it up really well. Sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. I, I just think, man, you know, when you look at it, it, there's so many, like this is a game that even without their hiccups away from the diamond has probably definitely internally, you know, been aware of they need to do a lot of 
things better to not just retain interest, gain interest, grow interest. And it's, and it's, a, I, we love baseball. There's a reason you and I do a pod every single week and not just about the Mets, but this is a baseball pod. And I think the people that listen to this still do love baseball, but it is easy to, I, I mean, there's been times, not that, I mean, just recently I was, I was sitting in a bar in Manhattan. Uh, I don't know. This is probably in like early December, late November. And, you know, the bartender, basically, long story short, was asking me, you know, what, where I was heading sign. And I was explaining, oh, I'm going to go to the Rangers game. I always come here for the Rangers games. And I was like, you like hockey? And he's like, I used to love hockey. He goes, I haven't watched, you know, since since a lockout. And I was just like, you kind of forget, like, there are a lot of people like that, that they get so turned off by the uh, the differences between the league and the players union that they just walk away. And and you and Let's be real. Like you and I are not like that. There could be no baseball played this year. And I think you and I would still come back with this pod when, when there's baseball again, but a lot of people out there are not always going to be like you and I, they will be turned off and they will sit there and they will go. And and I'll be honest here too. This is a side. Usually I, you know, I see it from both ends. I I think this is a, a league where a lot of the arbitration related and free agency issues and the lack of spending going on from the owner's side is inexplicable that that is a part of the reason why I think this truly could get ugly even longer. I, I certainly side a uh, player over owner. There's no question. I think the use of revenue sharing is terrible. I'm terrible. Like the, the big market teams spend more, they give money to these smaller market teams and those teams just pocket the money and don't reinvest it in the team, which is, not the purpose of revenue sharing. Um, so yeah, I think certainly I, I side player, but I am I am getting to the point in this, I'm starting to lose a little patience and I'm just like, forget taking sides, forget who's right, who's wrong. I'm kind of over the whole minutia of it. Like I just, just go ahead, figure something out, agree to a deal, bring me baseball. Like I, I don't, I don't want April to be without baseball. I don't want there to really not be a spring training or have spring training start in mid-March, thus pushing the season off. Like, I just don't want that. Figure out these dollars. Like, you guys are, you know, you're billionaires, you're millionaires. I get it. Like, the players got screwed in the last two CBAs and they don't want it to happen again. Entirely understand it. But man, I'm just getting to the point. I just want baseball. I don't. You could split a hundred million dollars however you want to. It doesn't. I'm starting to get over it a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you there, and I'm I'm kind of over talking about it. So we'll move on. Uh, we can only do so much CBA every single week, and, and I'm sure people are uh, fatigue have fatigue of it, like us. So with that being said, we will look at baseball, and this was obviously one of the more noteworthy pieces of. It's really one of the more noteworthy pieces, I think, of the off season in general, but especially now with the lockout is. Keith Law on the Athletic releases his top 100 prospects, and the Mets at five make the list. Francisco Alvarez coming in at eight. Uh, Ryan Mauricio coming in at 40th. Brett Beatty right behind him at 41. Mark Vientos, 71. And Alex Ramirez, Mr. Number 100. So before I toss to you, Joe, because this is undoubtedly, uh, I would say, your closest thing to Christmas that is not the MLB draft, I look at this and go, you know, obviously, Alvarez has just been everything and more they could have ever hoped for. And the fact he's in the top 10 is 
an overwhelmingly positive sign that the Mets can have a legitimate superstar catcher of the future that can alter the course of their lineup when you have that kind of bat at the catcher position. And then I'll bookend this. I'll start with Alvarez and end with the guy on the other side, Alex Ramirez at 100. Now, the reason I know anything about Ramirez is from talking to you so much that he's somebody with all the upside in the world in this system and that if it really does click, if that talent starts to show consistency and click together, this is a player that maybe it is a year early being, you know, being 100, but this is someone that with the kind of year he could have ahead of him can be in the top 75, you know, maybe even top 50 uh, sooner than we realized. So it was cool to see him in here in a, a name of the system that I think unless they listen to our show, a lot of Mets fans might not be familiar with. So what were your ultimate takeaways with five Mets being in Keith Law's top 100? I mean, it's a sign of where the farm system is headed. Uh, obviously, Francisco Alvarez, like, you know, we talk about him a ton. He's the cream of the crop. He's the best bet to make all-star teams in this uh, in this farm system. I'm all in on Francisco Alvarez, and Keith Law is. So is basically every other publication you're going to read. So I can't wait to see what Alvarez does this year in AA. Uh, I found it interesting that Ronnie Mauricio was ranked ahead of Brett Beatty. I don't think I entirely agree with that, but to Keith's point, he has them back-to-back. I don't think they're you know, drastically far off as far as uh, quality of prospect goes. Uh, Mauricio plays currently a premium position. Uh, they're going to have to transition him somewhere else. I know, you know, we've talked about third base. Uh, could he potentially get some grounders at second base? Possible. Um, maybe some outfield reps. Uh, the power's real for Mauricio. It's just contactability and, and, you know, strike zone awareness. He doesn't get on base, doesn't draw walks strikes out a bunch, but he's still so young and we almost forget how young he is. And uh, he'll, he'll be in the upper minors this year. And, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of what adjustments he can make. Whereas Brett Beatty right behind him, you know, this is complete hitter. Uh, He has the strike zone judgment skills that Mauricio lacks. He can read a breaking ball and take it the other way. You can jump on a breaking ball. Uh, His biggest flaw on the offensive side of the ball was his ground ball rate was a little high. And uh, Keith Law actually noted, noted in the article that that's not too dissimilar. You know, I don't think he's comparing to his player, but not too dissimilar to what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had when he was at a similar level of development um, in the minor league system. So Beatty's worked on his swing. He's going to add some more loft. Uh, I have the expectation of big power numbers from Brett Beatty this year and potentially a major league debut. Now this is where it gets fun. Mark Vientos getting nationally recognized Finally, like I know we talked, we've talked about this a ton too. I don't know where he's going to play defense. Like, I don't know if he could play third base. I don't know if he could play left field. First base is pretty much blocked here. Designated hitter might be a big part of his future, but let me tell you, Mark Vientos can freaking rake. There's just no way around it. He barrels the ball more consistently than anyone in this system. Uh, His exit velocities are akin to Pete Alonzo's. So like, this is a guy that barrels the ball, hits the ball hard, really broke out this year uh, with home runs, obviously hitting over 20 home runs on base skills, took a big jump up, still strikes out a lot, kind of comes with the territory, 
but you saw improvements where he was willing to take some walks, but also being aggressive when he had his pitch. He was willing to jump on it and hit it with authority. Dientos took massive strides forward this year. He's going to start in AAA Syracuse, and he got added to the 40-man roster. So I'd be pretty shocked if you didn't see Mark Vientos make his big league debut at some point in the 2022 season. And Alex Ramirez coming at number 100. Like you said, exactly what I was going to say. It's probably a year early. He didn't do anything outrageous in low A as an 18-year-old. Like, he was fine. You know, hit for a little average here. Got on base a little bit. Showed a little pop. Showed the ability to run. But Alex Ramirez has a little bit of all five tools. So, he has the chance to be that five-tool player, which not Mike Trout, you know, elite five tools, but he has a little bit of everything and he could definitely play center field. Uh, Keith Law actually said he thought there was 25 to 30 home runs in that bat, which was impressive to me, but Ramirez making it maybe a year early, but I think between these guys, as well as a guy like JT Ginn, a guy like Matt Allen, a guy like Calvin Ziegler, even a guy like maybe Joel Diaz, who I put at number 20 in my top 20 prospect ranking, who had a great summer in his debut with the Dominican Summer League. Like he's going to come stateside, I assume, this year. And, you know, maybe he's a guy that jumps up the radar. And then, of course, you have Simone Juan, who was signed in international free agency, uh, Willie Fanyas. And then, assuming the Mets don't keep Michael Conforto, uh, six draft picks in the top 90 to 100 depending on how it all shakes out this farm system is stock up i think that's probably the biggest takeaway that i have that was what my thinking was too this overall um you know just appeal now the farm system feels a little bit different in my eyes and and there's no doubt some so much of ramirez's projection right I, i mean when you look at his numbers from to be fair, his age 18-year-old season in St. Lucie, it's not necessarily going to overwhelm you. You could see some pop and speed combination. But I think overall as a whole, to have someone with that kind of ceiling and then a guy like Beatty to me who actually screams high floor because of his plate approach, really since he's been an older high school bat and how that approach has translated to the big leagues you know that's a good balance to have and then you have the guy that should be the star in alvarez and and everything is indicating right now that he will be a star and then really the two wild cards right in the middle i know ramirez is a total wild card but in a lesser case mauricio and vientos who made a lot of strides last year and vientos making massive strides last year and the fact that something that i think we really preach on the show that sure this team you should never expect any team in baseball to be perfect but the one thing that is very evident with this team is you got to wonder where the the pop is in the future and you know alonzo is going to be here a long time you know lindor is going to be here a long time but outside of those two especially in an off season where michael conforto is expected to walk like you said joe you can't just you, you're not going to go out and sign multiple you know 25 to 30 home run guys every offseason that's not what you're going to do and it's not even what they did this year. I mean, when you look at Canna and Marte, yeah, Escobar undoubtedly has some pop, but they need young blood in the system that has power. And, and Alvarez, Mauricio, 
Beatty Vientos right now are displaying that they do have legitimate power and and for them to appear in this piece and they've earned it. This, you know, Ramirez I, I think is definitely more of, you know, and you even said this to me when we were discussing the article, Ramirez is definitely more of a projection, right? It's one of those if he figures it out, he's gonna be a lot higher than this ranking next year. If it's more of the same and he's nineteen, so let's be really fair. You know, he might not be back in this piece. So it's it's it just that is something that really interested me. Um, and, and undoubtedly a great piece for everyone to read if you haven't yet. Definitely check out this piece. The top 100 is awesome. I, I love reading all the top 100s, Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, Keith Law. I, I'll say this. I am getting to the point that I just I feel like Mark Vientos is just going to hit. Like, I don't I don't even know if he's like a necessarily so much of an upside, you know, kind of guy anymore. I think it's just like this dude just hits. I don't know what to tell you. Like, he's just he's a hitter. Now we just have to figure out if he could stand somewhere with a glove. And if he can, <laughs> fantastic. But like you said, this system and this lineup is going to need power. And over the next couple of years, because other than Ramirez, who should presumably he may start in St. Lucie again and then quickly go to Brooklyn. but. He should spend a lot of a bulk of the summer in Brooklyn. Alvarez, Mauricio, Beatty, and Vientos are all going to be in double A or above. So these guys that not too long ago felt like they were so far away are now within a year, maybe two years or so, you know, depending on which one you're talking about. Within the next couple of years, these guys are going to be able to come up. And, you know, if Beatty's a 25 home run guy and Vientos is a 20 25 home run guy which Keith Law said 30 to 35 I'm I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet but sure sign uh, me up <laughs> yeah yeah I mean if he's gonna crank 35 bombs I'm here for it and then of course Alvarez with the light tower power like there is power coming through the system and they could draft more of it like I can't wait for July to see you know do they just add more bats do they load up on some arms like they're going to have so much flexibility and uh yeah this this system with 5 in Keith Law's top 100 next year it could be more than that i mean like if Matt Allen comes back strong too so that's not even counting for the internal guys so a very very exciting time and you know considering the lockout it's it's cool that we're able to talk prospects and these lists and you know i think it adds some juice for people it really does it's it's a good time of year to step back and you know, you and I on the show and on the stream have gotten into the next draft class already and how impactful of a draft that needs to be from the Mets. But this is a good time to step back and look at the development of guys already in the system. And I know you do a great job of that at SNY, Joe, especially when you release the top 20 Mets prospects list pretty routinely. But it, it, when you look at it from a national, pers- national perspective like Keith Law's, like you said, you can read about more than just the Mets. You could learn a little bit about every system. And it's amazing to see some of the teams that have top guys in here. That makes you realize the rich get richer, right? We always laugh about, you know, the Dodgers system, considering how high their payroll is, but also that they have developed in internal, uh, you know, resource of, of cost-effective young talent as well. And, and that is the ultimate goal of the New York Mets to build a sustained winner, not spending, you know, a hundred million dollars or, or more per year in every single free agency. As fun as that is, and as fun as that can be the cherry on top for your team, this is obviously the sustained route to success. But 
with that cherry on top mentality or that spending mentality in mind, one thing we did want to cover was, because it wouldn't be a week without the Mets in the news, John Heyman tweeted this week, have, have heard the Mets might consider signing another significant pitcher and hitter. That, that's the part of the thing that I found so interesting, Joe. Might consider signing another significant pitcher and hitter. Once the lockout ends on top of Scherzer, Marte, Canna, and Escobar. Now, I have felt that they have, have something up their sleeve, whether it's going to be a, a shot at Chris Bryant on a juiced-up two-year deal. or I don't think, and I know you've said this, you tweeted this, I don't think it's, it's going to be like a Kershaw kind of player. And I don't think it'll be a pitcher and hitter, honestly. But this is fascinating because you have two very plugged-in guys with the Mets um, with contradicting reports and the fact that Andy Martino has preached over and over again and that they are going to look to add depth to their pitching. And no duh, they need to, and, and maybe some bullpen pieces, but that their wave one was was really the big splash. And it won't be that crazy after the lockout. And then you have Heyman saying here, they're not done. They're going to look into maybe making another big splash. And it could be both as in pitching and both or end offensively. Once again, to me, that's a little rich. Um, but this is, you know, two guys that have gotten a lot right about the Mets. And I don't say that to sit here and go, one of them has to be wrong. I think to me, Joe, the point is everything is on the table with this new tent, this new era of Mets baseball. Everything's on the table. Um, I would wager a guess. And, you know, next week, I think we're going to we're going to do our post lockout predictions. Like, I think next week we're going to come through with that and, you know, really dive in there. But I find it hard to believe that they're going to make some huge move post lockout. Um, significant is certainly an opinion thing, right? Like if they sign, you say Kikuchi to a three year deal for $14 million a year. That's probably that's significant to some people. To others, that's nothing because everyone's just thinking the big names, the big dollars. Um, the Mets payroll is going to be three hundred million dollars for luxury tax purposes, kind of regardless of what they do. Uh, Andy mentioned a starter, a couple bullpen arms, and then some depth that starting pitching and maybe some offensive depth. Like just doing that is going to get you to three hundred million dollars. So I don't know if there's a Chris Bryant in there. Um, when you think of significant pitcher, I don't think one exists that they can get. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, by all accounts, is either staying in L.A. or going home to Texas to finish his career or retiring. Like Those seem to be Clayton Kershaw's choices at the moment. Uh, I do not consider Carlos Rodon to be significant. Uh, he was great this year, but that arm is, in my opinion, you know, I'm certainly not a doctor. I certainly don't have access to his medicals, but it surely appears as if that arm's hanging on by like silly string or something. Like I don't Toothpicks trust him and bubble at gum. all. Yeah, exactly. Toothpicks and bubble gum. Like I don't trust. I don't trust Carlos Rodon, and I need someone that I can trust to take the ball every fifth day. I don't care if he's a number four starter. Like that's okay with me. Like I think we're in a position where we just feel like everything has to be a top guy at their position. It's not entirely realistic that you're going to continually do that. You know, obviously, if I could get Luis Castillo, I'm going to be happy and I'm going to want Luis Castillo. But living in, you know, what's a semblance of realism, if they could just get a reliable, you know, number three, number four starter, I think that would make a huge difference. 
So I, I don't know that I'm buying this significant thing. Uh, but like you said, uh, you can't put anything past Steve Cohen. Like we could come out of the lockout and the Braves could sign Freddie Freeman and Carlos Rodon. And then Steve Cohen goes, screw that. I'm going to go sign Chris Bryant. And they just does it like there's he has that capability that he can do whatever he wants. But I would have the expectation of depth, you know, kind of more prudent signings and, you know, maybe some smaller level trades that uh, we'll touch on. Like I said, next week, I already started devising my post lockout plan and uh, I'm very excited to talk about it. Two years, 64 million for Chris Bryant. Sign me up. Stay, keep yeah, doing sure. the, right? Just keep ducking on the tax when you need yeah. to. I mean, let's be real here, Joe, too. And your great point about what others do can, you know, can dictate how you counterattack. That's a really good point that what if the Braves do come out or whoever it may be and you go, okay, well, watch this. That's, a, you know, it's spot on that that can change plans. And that's why Andy and, and Heyman can have different um, info on what it looks like they're going to do. I think that you something that's being kind of underplayed here is when the Mets did everything they needed to do to close a deal with Max Scherzer, and in, in all reality, it's you know it, it's guaranteed two years he'll be on the Mets, and in the third year we'll see. We don't have to get too far into that because of the the opt out, but the point is that kind of built this odd window with a basically a team you can buy right like let's be real the Mets had a core and it didn't it it hasn't worked and Michael Conforto was part of that core Noah Syndergaard was part of that core you know there was a time where we thought Mats would be um and I we really think that at least one of McNeil or Dom will be moved that was part of that core and it didn't work and because there's been so much movement with that core, but they also played the game of go get Scherzer, you kind of put yourself in this two-year window. You have Canna and Escobar, right? Part of the two-year window. You have staples here, and every franchise has foundations. And for the Mets, that's Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor right now. And, and to an extent, Jacob deGrom, but the age and the health, in my opinion, really just enhances the point i'm making of this two-year window because you don't know forget Degrom's contract situation you also just don't know how long he'll be able to do this at this level so when it comes down to it why not keep going for it like why would you stop right you're obviously yeah. all in on winning a world championship in the next two years it why not stop now that's why i lean and think maybe they won't get it done right maybe they just won't be able to make it work to some extent where Chris Bryant would rather sign a five-year deal instead of a juiced-up two-year deal because he just a lot of athletes just don't want to deal with that every year. They, some guys like free agency, right? Like Marcus Stroman really clearly liked being a free agent, enjoyed that opportunity, right. and plenty of guys do, and they like it once. But not every every athlete wants to just be uprooting their family all the time. So maybe it won't be able to work. But I just think my overall point is. Steve Cohen does not strike me as the type of guy that is really ever satisfied until it's as close to a sure thing as possible. And there's no sure things when it comes to world championships. 
Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed explore everything i totally i'm totally with you and i i bet steve cohen's mindset is let's get everybody like why not let's figure it out and you know like you said maybe they try to go juiced up to your deal to chris bryant and he goes "Eh, i'm gonna get six from seattle and i'll just go live there like that could very easily happen you know i i mentioned clayton kershaw like who's to say steve cohen doesn't go well everyone told me that max scherzer wasn't going to leave the west coast too why not try? Like, offer him a juiced up one or two year deal. I- I'm very interested to see post lockout if the aggressiveness continues or if it's more, okay, let's sit back and realize that, yes, we made this team better. We spent $40 million a year on Max Scherzer, $20 million a year on Starling Marte, 13 a year on Canna, 10 a year on Escobar. Like, we made significant investments. Let's make some smart moves now that, you know, maybe aren't the huge splashy moves. Let's fill the rotation with, you know, someone that's going to reliably take innings. Let's go get a couple good bullpen arms. Let's try to find our Aaron Loop replacement. Like you're not, you're probably not replacing 0.9 ERA Aaron Loop, but can you find a really good lefty reliever for the same contract that you signed Aaron Loop? History suggests, yes, you can. So find the right guys for a bullpen. To me, on the offensive side of the ball, unless you're trading Jeff McNeil, to me, the starting lineup is kind of mostly settled, short of maybe a DH. Like, do you go and push for a Kyle Schwarber or, or, or something like that? But then Robinson Cano plays into that factor to whatever level you want him to. But, you know, he's starting to hit really well in the Dominican Winter League there. So, you know, there, there's something there, and he's going to be at camp trying to earn a spot so i i think to me get deep on that bench too for sure like i think right now if you look at the bench it's it's weak 
on the offensive side of the ball. Like we like Guillaume's defensive ability and his contact ability. Uh, Nito is great behind the plate, but then you're looking at like, you know, uh, Dom Smith's all right. JD Davis is all right. Like those guys, let's, let's see if you can upgrade on them. And uh, like I mentioned next week, I think that's what I will focus the show on. Unless we have a new CBA, then we'll scrap it. But uh, <laughs> let's focus the show on kind of our post lockout plan. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. All right, let's get into this week's mailbag, um, which, of course, people are always bringing it when Joe sends out the tweet asking for questions. And boy, did we have, we had a field day last week talking about gym class and the, the best and the worst of gym class. And my goodness, it is, I, I was glad that some of you responded to me saying that you also had swimming and I was not alone in that disaster. So the first question here from Michael Sen. If you could be on any game show, past or present, which would you be on? Standard trivia show like Jeopardy, pricing show like Price is Right, pure luck show like Let's Make a Deal, nostalgic route with Nickelodeon guts or legends of the Hidden Temple. I mean, this for me, I would just love to do something with an absolute absurd obstacle course. And I know that's like very low hanging fruit and very obvious. And a lot of you are probably not surprised to hear that from me. Um, but that to me would be, would be, I think I would just have a blast with it, whether I completed it or not, or won or not. I would have zero, zero interest in doing like fear factor. Um, I'm not honestly the biggest trivia guy. I do know like a lot of like random facts. Like I do really like history and I obviously do sports literally 24 seven. Like that is what I am paid to do. But Outside of that, I would not be really that good at trivia. Um, so I, I wouldn't want to make a complete fool of myself. And then the pure luck games, like, I feel like you're just put on TV to kind of be like, it's just like kind of cheesy and like you're kind of laughed at in a sense. So I, yeah. I think I know the game too well uh, working in, in production for a long time that I don't think that would do it for me either. So I think I would do one of the obstacle course related ones. Where are you going, Joe? So you pick guts. That's essentially your pick. Okay, That's what sure. it sounds like. Yeah. Did you watch Guts? No, I have no idea what that is. What? No. You don't know what Nickelodeon Guts is? I have no idea what that is. Okay, well, uh, you basically described Guts. So please, when we're done recording, uh, look up Guts and you'll love it. Like, it's exactly what you're describing. And people tweet Connor Rogers shame for not knowing what Guts is. so for me, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Okay. This was on from 92 to 95. I was between the ages of one and four. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll give you the, but I figured you still could have, I, I don't know. I feel like they probably, I mean, it it or something. Cool, and apparently they made a super Nintendo game out of it. So it's obviously very legit. Oh, I remember the super Nintendo game. Um, and I'm not even that much older than you, but. No, Lord, you're, Lord, you're making me feel like it. Um, but m- my choice, and it's I am a little biased on this, is I'm going to pick Legends of the Hidden Temple. Do you know that show? Yes, and I know your sister was on it. That's just what I was going to say. So they rebooted, awesome. they rebooted Legends of the Hidden Temple on the CW network. And my sister was on this season. Um, I want to say her episode was end of November-ish, something like that. And her and her friend Scout uh, got on the show and competed and got, they didn't get into the temple. They got second place. So they beat two other teams, lost the one team. And I think 
the team that actually beat them got out of the temple. So they won $10,000 or whatever the grand prize was. But I, I would get with my sister and do legends at hidden temple. She's, she's a little smarter than me and I'm quite a bit more athletic than her, which says more about her <laughs> than it does about me. So I think it'd be a, a good combination. I would go legends at hidden temple with my sister. So you guys would balance each other out well then, because it really 100%. is about complementing each other. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Cause legends at hidden temple, it's a mix of physical activities. And then you have to answer trivia questions based on uh, the story that's being told on that given episode. So a bit of mind and uh and body so yeah i would go legends in temple i think that would be fun but you know i always like wheel of fortune too like i feel like that would be cool to do but i would do legends for sure and we have to get connor on guts yeah i'm, I'm down to join uh guts which actually does look really cool as i've been rapidly googling during the show <laughs> i don't think i could do like survivor just because everybody loses so much weight and i just i'm so hungry all the time like i just had this conversation with somebody being on the road for me as i am right now is just i, I mean i was at practice for what uh five hours straight today so i basically had to skip lunch and i'm just like god i like i my body is just not equipped for this so i i could tell you uh from five hours of watching practice i would die on survivor yeah, that's for sure I would be I would be the person helicoptered off the island and they'd be like, what's wrong? Did he get like an infection or did he get dehydrated? And they'd be like, no, he just like really needs a cheeseburger right now. So, uh, <laughs> yes, Survivor would not, would not work for me. Really like the question from Michael Sen as we keep our fun mailbag. It's, it's mailbag, but fun during the MLB lockout. All right. Now a little bit more serious one from Scott Anderson, who asked. Has there been any mention of trading draft picks in the CBA? What would you trade to move up for Drew Jones? So I'll let Joe handle the second part. And as far as I know, uh, we won't really get the details on the trading of draft picks, but it's something that we did talk about on our stream where it's, it's really the most logical way to enhance the interest in the MLB draft. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's part of the discussion, to be honest, at all. It seems like they probably have bigger fish to fry. So maybe maybe it doesn't even happen in this CBA, to be totally honest. It may just fall down the totem pole and they'll just be like, we'll just figure that out later. Like it's what it is. Um, I hope it's in. I think it'll, like you said, add intrigue to the event. Uh, it'll add, you know, more flexibility for teams. Uh, where, where it comes specifically to uh, Drew Jones, like you said, we talked to Joe Doyle on the stream about it. I don't really know what I would trade because you have to weigh the picks because it's not quite like the NFL. Like, you know, the Jets trade their first and second round pick to move up to get whoever. Like, that's just what it is. Baseball, you're giving up your first and second pick. Let's use that as an example, along with the bonus slot pools that go with those picks, thus lessening the haul that you can get overall in your draft class outside of just one less player. Like now it impacts your ability to spend on all of the picks. So I don't actually have a good answer for like what you would trade. And to be honest, based on my early looks, like Drew Jones wouldn't be my top target to trade up for. I'd be trading up for Tamar Johnson. I think he's the best high school, like best pure high school hitter that I've seen in, in quite some time. So he, he'd be a prime target of mine. But uh, yeah, I hope it comes. I'm not optimistic that it's a part of this CBA. It seems like they're so far off on so many other things that this is probably the last thing on their mind. 
Yeah, I think so as well. I think for us, this is a fun talking point because it's like, how do you, once again, beef up the the interest and the excitement of the MLB draft? But for them, they're trying to figure out how to get back on the field and get the players paid. So it's definitely a secondary argument, but it's an interesting one to us because I think it's, you know, very important. It's a shame that they, you know, it's the old saying, like, you got to crawl before you can walk and walk before you can run. Right now, the MLB cannot even literally crawl. And this... Yeah as you know i'm sure scott agrees asking this question it is such a simple thing for people making this level of money in charge of major league baseball to figure out uh but to them it's it's probably on the the spectrum of sprinting like usain bolt for how hard these kinds of things are for them right now so unfortunately there hasn't been any leaks on that but maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised if this agreement can ever get done okay the next question from Vin Santangelo. That is a great last name. Santangelo. Now that his tenure is all but over, what are your thoughts on Michael Conforto? While a good offensive player, I can't help but feel slightly disappointed he wasn't the consistent 290 to 300 hitter he had the look of being. What do you think of that, Joe? I know you're a Conforto stan, some would say. Yeah. I went to school with a Tony Santangelo. Great last name. Um, but Michael Conforto, when I saw him in the minor leagues, just like uh, Vince said here, I thought Conforto was going to be a 290, 300 hitter, hit 20, 25 home runs a year. And, you know, he didn't maybe maximize what his potential was. I'm also going to be really honest. Most prospects don't max out their potential. Like they just either don't grow enough in one facet of the game but Michael Conforto is one of those guys that he's a borderline all-star kind of player, a really, really good regular in right field, can play defense, can throw, has pop, can draw walks. Uh, the batting average and consistent contact and just overall consistency, I guess, because he would go through huge slumps. Um, that never got there with him. But if you're looking for a player that's consistent all year round and just hits every month and does everything the same like that list is so short you're not really going to find it so you know Conforto I'm more than happy with kind of what he became he just you know maybe didn't you know if, if your overall potential is a 10 like he got to like an 8 which is awesome but just didn't quite put everything together and you often hear me when I do SNY shows when I talk about prospects I often say the phrase if they can put it all together more often than not, they don't put it all together. It's just how much can they put together. I think with Conforto, this one's frustrating for me because when he, he you know, this is a time where in 2014 when he was drafted, I did not know, you know, obviously, I did not know a ton about the MLB draft back then. But the reason why... I ended up knowing Conforto so well is I, I worked at Bleacher Report at the time with Steven Nelson, who's an incredible host and is now a host for the MLB Network, ironically. And, and Nelson, you know, was a big Oregon State guy because he had worked out in Oregon media for a while. And obviously, because of that, was a huge fan of, of Conforto. And so I was really excited for Conforto. I, I was watching, you know, a lot of his college highlights and just loved his swing. Uh, you know, there was the concerns about him defensively, and then he came up and showed off his big arm and thought he played a lot of fire out there in the outfield. And I, I guess it's one of those things where 
like a really good impression. And the only World Series game I've ever gone to in my life, he hit two home runs and he was like, like really young. So I, I think the early success of Conforto, in a sense, or, or and with early expectations, ruined him a little bit for me because he it, he became such a frustrating player, Joe. Like he just everything was there for him to be a star. And the bottom line is, Michael Conforto never became a star. And there are millions of guys that are drafted in the top ten that don't even become big, big leaguers, but. Conforto was on this trajectory where everything told you from college to the minors to his early success with the Mets that he was going to be a star and he just could never get over that hump. And, you know, I've said before, a lot of it is he just really could not get it done against lefties for his career. You know, he, he hit just the OPS was under 700 against lefties. And that alone is a, a liability and stars are not liabilities. Uh, you know, that's just, that's kind of the rule of thumb to me. And with Conforto, I, he's a guy that got in his own head a lot here at times. Like when he struggled, Joe, he really spiraled out of control at times. And and when he got hot, we, we know how special he could be as a player, but, and, and you love the guy's personality. Like he had the right demeanor. It felt like everybody loved being around him. Every time he spoke to the media, he always, had the right thing to say and that's why i think he became so frustrating is we wanted him to be a star as much as any met i can ever remember and he just couldn't get it done and that went back to my closing argument last summer that when dealing with bringing back or letting michael conforto walk you need to take the emotion out of it and that is so hard to do because the reality is in my opinion letting him walk unfortunately became the right decision i can't really dispute much of what you said it definitely was frustrating at times he like you said he could have been a star like i thought michael conforto was going to be a franchise player for this team and the reality is he ended up just not a franchise player and you know that's the unfortunate reality of how player development never stops even the major leagues like you have to constantly develop uh, he struggled against lefties. He had that little, you know, in 2020, I think he did well against everyone, but that was the shortened season. Otherwise, he hasn't hit lefties. Um, he's He would go through prolonged slumps. Like, everyone's going to have bad times. Like, you're going to not hit for a couple weeks or you're, or whatever. Conforto would feel like his slumps would last a month or a month plus. And, th- and that's a lot. So, you know, it's at the point now where it's unfortunate that you know, he didn't fulfill everything that we hoped and expected because I remember being so excited when they drafted him. Like, I had Michael Conforto as a top five player in the class, and they got him at 10. And I was just like, this kicks ass. They got Michael Conforto. And then he goes to the minors and destroys the minor leagues, comes up to the bigs in one year, just which is not, it's an almost unheard of pace, and hits from the word go. Like you said, hits two home runs in the World Series as a rookie. Like, this is not common stuff. Like, those are the things that future stars do. He never became that star. He's pretty much, you know, a borderline all-star type talent that, you know, if, if he has, if he doesn't have a prolonged slump early in a year, he's probably going to make more all-star teams in his career. But it's at the point that, you know, it might be the right, you know, 
proved to be the right move for the Mets to let him go get that money elsewhere and, you know, get get a different look in the lineup. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I think that's, I think a lot of Mets fans agree. I don't think any Mets fan ever had like any kind of resentment or personal frustration with Conforto because they knew it's, it always felt like everything was there and it just, it was so frustrating. And I'm sure it's, if it's that frustrating for us, it's probably even way worse for him. So that's why I don't like if Conforto came back to City Field, like I, I think he deserves, you know, an ovation in a video. And like, it's just, you just are frustrated that that's happening at what, 28, 29 years old, rather than he's getting the contract and he's going to be a part of something special going forward. And he can be trusted in big moments and he's going to retire on that. And that's just, that's where it really becomes the, the pull apart that not everybody can be great. And that's just something that you, as much as you want it, you have to accept it. So the last question from Alex Takapina asks, since draft season is heating up in both NFL and MLB just beginning, what would you both say were your biggest draft crushes, NFL and MLB, that you thought were going to be amazing, but didn't pan out? Whew. Wow. Um, that's a good one. Because for me, like, I could give you one for every year from the NFL. MLB, I don't know if I have one, just because I've only really been in, like, the weeds of the draft. I would say, like, the last two drafts, I at least, like, know the names of the first round. And now that we're doing this pod, especially with you, Joe, it's getting much, much stronger. So I'll start with you. Who's Who's a... Definitely, you could do both, but definitely baseball one that just that just didn't pan out. Yeah, I'll do both. You could just stick to NFL. Maybe we'll do this question again next year and yeah, have a, a different call. perspective. But for baseball, I'm going back to 2013, and I'm going with Clint Frazier, outfielder. Uh, obviously, everyone knows him for being a Yankee, but he was a top five pick by the the Cleveland Indians, now Guardians. And when I watched Clint Frazier hit. It was the best bat speed I ever saw in a high school hitter, like at that point in time. It was at the All-American games, he was turning on 97-mile-an-hour fastballs, which you don't do at that age. Uh, so I thought Clint Frazier was going to be a mega star in baseball. And, you know, he's had injuries and other things that have kind of derailed him a bit. And, you know, he got non-tendered or designated for assignment or whatever by the Yankees and now he's going to get a chance with the Cubs. And, you know, you know, maybe he turns it around his career now. But I was 100% sold in 2013 that Clint Frazier was going to be a star. And for the NFL draft, I'm going to go with a Cowboys draft pick. I'm, you know, obviously big fan of the draft overall. But when I was, I used to go to Radio City. Um, I don't know if I've told this story. I've told these kind of things on air, but I've certainly told you off air. Uh, me and a group of my friends loved the NFL draft, and we would go to Radio City every year from 09 until it left, which was 2014, I believe, was the last year at Radio City, and then it moved to stadiums and things like that. But when the Cowboys traded up from number 14 to number 6 to draft LSU defensive back Morris Claiborne, I went ballistic. I remember being so overjoyed, and I was like, the Cowboys have their two lockdown corners, Morris Claiborne and Brandon Carr. Good luck throwing on the Cowboys. Huh. 
that didn't exactly work out. And I bought a Morse Playboard jersey on the train home from the draft because the Cowboys put it up immediately or whatever. Like I bought a jersey immediately thinking they drafted the next stud. And uh, yeah, he was not. He was not that. I mean, that's just the draft for you. I loved Claiborne too. And I, I thought the Cowboys, you know, I, and also you're coming in an era where ironically Claiborne actually had a really good year for the Jets. And it was like the one that it was funny because he was like the one that got away. I loved him as a draft pick. I loved, you know, just the way he played the LSU and the fact that he was kind of described, he was coming off an era where like Revis was the prototype. And a lot of people looked at Claiborne and they were just like, oh, he could play press. He's got length. He's got, you know, the speed on the outside to recover. And I, I'm not saying anyone called him Revis, but a lot of people looked at his game and said, man, he can translate into a legitimate shutdown man corner. And I remember when the Cowboys got him, like, he's going to be a superstar. And a lot of it with Claiborne was health related. Um, sure. And not all of it, though. He did have his own struggles sure. and never turned into the player. That's a that's a great call because I'm with you. I loved him and thought he would be an absolute superstar. And, you know, like I said, there's, God, there's there's guys every year that you see it with the draft. I'm try- I mean, for the <laughs> for the Jets, they're, they're just all over the place. And they, I thought Jason Morrow would be their answer at tight end to an absolute bust disaster in the second round. You know, Devin Smith was was someone that could just never stay healthy. Also made his way from the classic Jets yeah. to the Cowboys route. Yes. Uh, and was, was not terrible when he did get some opportunity in preseason for the Cowboys. No, at regular season, too. He caught like a 60-yard touchdown from Dak against Washington, I believe. And it was just like, but it was just because I think they, it was kind, it kind of felt like Devin Smith being out there was like, when you play pickup football with friends and you have that one friend that can't catch. So you're just like, don't even worry about him. Like just kind of stay near him, but you could basically leave him open. Like that's what it felt like. No one was within like 10 yards of him. And he just caught a 60 yard touchdown. That's yeah. That's typically how it went for him. It's, and that's the draft as a whole. Like there's just so many crapshoot kind of players that sometimes they just, they don't stay healthy or there's something that you're, you missed with, you know, whether it's character and, you know, a lot of times, like, it, there are plenty of cases where the guy just wasn't as good as you thought. But when teams take him pretty high, and, and it's pretty universal that, like, everyone loves him, it's something that just goes wrong that's out of your control. And it's not making an excuse for this industry because, like, evaluation is people do miss, and some people are simply better at it than others. But it's, it's always, it's opened my eyes since doing a lot more baseball stuff, just like how prevalent it is in the base, like, in the NFL world. Like if you miss on like a first or second rounder, like it's it's all anyone talks about, and, and it can it can be like the main argument whenever somebody wants a GM fired. But in the baseball world, the guys get stashed away for so long that people like don't even like. How many times, Joe, do you like is a Mets fan like tweeting at you just like? And you're the Mets draft guy, so maybe this is a bad example. But it, when you see like a narrative of like. Well, the Mets should have drafted better, like in this year in this round. Like people don't do that for baseball. No, no, not often at all. I mean, and it's like you said, these guys get stashed away, and if they don't make the major leagues or make these top prospect lists, like people will forget they ever existed. Like I'll tell you, a first round, you know, all in all, you know, Tommy Tannis, Mark Tremuda, their scouting department, the the success of their first round picks has been fantastic. Almost everyone's made the major leagues. Um, one exception is Gavin Cicchini. And that's a guy that, you know, it, it 
I, often I even almost forget about him, but a lot of people forget that they even exist. Whereas in football, take it to the Cowboys again, because it's easy. Like, I will never, ever forget that they drafted Taco Charlton two picks or a pick before TJ Watt. Like, I won't forget that. And I don't want Will McClay fired for it because he drafts well, but like, I will never, ever forget that. Um, you don't hear much of that in baseball. Like, I, for a little bit, um, there was people that would mention to me that the Mets drafted Brandon Nimmo over Jose Fernandez, um, the former uh, Marlins yeah. pitcher. Like, there, that would get mentioned from time to time, but no, I, I don't get like the kind of tweets that you probably get about the NFL draft. Like, I don't get that for baseball. Like, people nowadays have more preferences and things like that. So maybe in the future, I'll get more uh, feedback like that. But for the most part, you just draft and people go, just let me know when he's a major leaguer. And then the team stinks and everyone's like, well, what happened? And it's like, well, none of yeah. them became major leaguers ever. So, or yep. they did and they stunk. So yeah, it's it's definitely a totally different ball game, um, and, and you know, and I think it's kind of cool that part of our show is, and I, I see people when we get questions like this, it, it makes me happy uh, that people kind of like the intersection of what I do and you do, and where they blend together and where they don't, and and kind of the mistakes that come from each side. So it's been pretty cool. And with that being said, that is our mailbag, and that is is our show. So Joe episode 79 from mobile alabama on my end closing thoughts a lot of stuff to cover for again as we mentioned this lockout like we still had plenty to cover and you know enjoyed it and i'll i'll tell you i'm, I'm hopeful that we get closer to the end here soon and i you know one thing i want to do i want to thank everyone for riding with us through this lockout like i'm not you know obsessed with rankings on podcast lists and things like that but the support that you all have showed for this podcast when literally nothing is happening you could easily just you know be subscribed or whatever and just not listen not interact you know all that the support that we get is fantastic and i can only imagine where this where this is going to go when stuff actually exists like huge year coming and you know just want to thank everyone for the last couple months while the lockout's been going on uh the support's just been awesome yeah i'm glad you said it because you know this has been a a time where just to kind of pull the curtain back here it was kind of interesting when joe and i knew the lockout was coming and and we've been bracing for it for a long time the fact was we had to sit here and go, okay, like this is going to be pretty easy in the beginning because the Mets just went scorching hot into the lockout where it's like, oh my God, we got all of these things. It's exciting. It's this, it's that. And then we were like, okay, then the second week, like we're going to need this. And it's like, okay, cool. Like Clem's coming on anyway. We've been excited for that for a while. And then it's like, okay, well, we also have this guest. And then, and then you get to the point where you're like, okay, well, we could talk about the draft a little bit, but then you, you reach a point where, unfortunately, the Mets, once again, are somehow just always in the news, whether it's the splashes they're going to make after the lockout, whether it's, you know, they have five prospects in Keith Law's top 100. But the bottom line is for this show to be a legitimate hour every week, which we take a lot of pride in, uh, and we've always taken a lot of pride in. And if, if you're the type of person that just wants a half hour, well, you get the meat and potatoes in that first half hour. And, you know, it's going to get off the rails after that during this lockout. And, uh, just how people have embraced it, 
And, you know, I read every tweet, all the replies last week for the people that stayed till the end of the episode. Man, it's it's just really cool. It's cool that was, this is something different. Like, like this is something very, very different. Uh, this pod has become a community, and that that is what shows are about. And it's, it makes you wonder, like, how special it'll be when this is going to be a really awesome team to watch this year on the field. They are they have star power. They are going to be feisty, and I think they're going to play really hard. And I think they're going to win a lot of ball games. So when, if you stuck with us here, uh, we're all going to enjoy that later. And with that being said, thank you so much, everyone. Episode 79 in the books. We'll catch you next week. you can get McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich McDonald's spicy crispy chicken sandwich and or filet of fish any two for just six bucks sounds really good doesn't it Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. prices and participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer